0: Good morning, glad y'all are here. I think we uh, have a couple of pretty exciting Sundays in store. I mean, it's been a sweet time in worship already. I'm glad to see your faces. I'm glad to see some faces that aren't familiar. Just want to say welcome this morning if you're visiting with us. I know you've been welcomed already, but I want you to hear it from my mouth also. We really treasure having a few minutes with you. Uh, I want to say this too, and we often say this, I hope we say it nearly every Sunday. If you're just moving here or if you live here and you're looking for a church home, and this is your only visit with us. And that happens. Okay, that's, that's totally fine. You need to hear that from us. That is totally fine. What we're cheering for is not that you join this church, but that you find a church home and land. That's what's most important to us. There's some wonderful churches in our community, and we are cheering for the bride in Greenville, Texas, and in Hunt County. So that's the thing that's most important to us. So if this is your one visit with us... Um, know that we're cheering for you to land somewhere please don't join the population of people that live in this community that say they love Jesus but aren't part of a local church family I'm going to be speaking about that for a large part of the morning but please I'm begging with you this is my one appeal to you that on your one visit please land and know and be known welcome so I'm glad you're here long long the sermon comes in a minute that wasn't the sermon there's a little mini sermonette uh, but if, if you're visiting, though, and you're like, hey, I kind of like this place, you know, I kind of like these people, and, which is cool, too. I mean, we welcome you, uh, and we're glad that's, that's that's a possibility as well. We think, you know, we, we love being here. We're, we're pretty pretty glad that we're here. And if you're like, hey, you want to be part of this or you want to find out who we are, more about who we are, then visit that little welcome table on your way out, please. You'll We'll put some information in your hand. Has, uh, we've tried to kind of capture in there who we are, what we're about. It does, it's a pale version of being really with the people, but it's at least some information that you can look at between uh, a few Sundays, hopefully, as you visit with us. So uh, we're going to uh, spend a few moments in prayer before we climb into, our, in, into the Word this morning. We're going to pray for our students. I'd like for our students to stand up again this Sunday. I'm doing it to you again. So stay, students, stand up stand up. I know, man, it's like, God, ah, when are we going to stop doing this? We're going to stop doing this in um, October. So between now and the end of September, every Sunday, we're praying for you. We are committing this month to praying for our students. Man, let me just tell y'all, my most difficult years in life, I'm 51 years old, were my high school years. Being a young person is not easy and being a student is not easy. And sometimes you might feel like us adults look at you and say, just get your act together. You know, we've been there, we've done that, you'll be fine. But we realize life is not easy as a young person. And we are praying for you specifically, surgically, especially this morning. Y'all, y'all can go ahead and sit down. I wanted you to stand so we could see you. But we're going to pray specifically this morning for uh, your context that, and, and your home and your school context that you'll respect those in authority. Man, it's hard to bear the name of Christ well if you're being disrespectful in school and in home. I mean, it really is. You are submitting to authority that the Lord has placed there, even if they're not doing a great job, even if they're not doing it the way you think they ought to do it. You can still submit to them as you would to the Lord. Man, that's a, that's a great ministry and a great testimony to your classmates. Uh, enjoy school. We're going to pray that you enjoy school and you spread joy, that you actually enjoy the context that you're in and enjoy people and enjoy what you're learning. Um, that may be hard to imagine for far-fetched prayer, but God can do amazing things. So we're going to pray for that. Uh, we're going to pray also for, uh, that you'll be a grateful uh, student, that you'll have this disposition of, of gratitude as you go about your day. And we're also going to pray for a people group this morning. We're praying for the Hijazi people of Saudi Arabia. Ten and a half million people strong, 0.3% Christian. Ten and a half million people strong. percent Christian. They're in the news today, too. If you paid attention to the news, Saudi Arabia's in the news. They've had these drone strikes where they have actually uh, um, bombed, I guess that's the term, uh, half of the oil refineries there in Saudi Arabia. So their world has just been turned upside down. And we can pray the Lord will use that actually to bring the gospel to bear and to send workers to the field with good news of something better than oil. And we're going to pray for a local church. We're going to pray for C3 in Rockwall. Let's pray. Lord, first this morning, we want to pray for our students. We are thankful for uh, the stewardship that you've given us in the lives of young people. And Lord, we want to pray for uh, just the hearts and the minds and the faith of our students that you would guard their hearts in Christ Jesus. Or the kind of stuff that they're dealing with and struggling with from day to day, the uh, things, things that, that seem small. Uh, as you get older seem really big at that age lord and we want to acknowledge that life is not easy as a young person and as a student we want to just entrust our students to you and ask you lord to just sustain them keep them close to you first of all and then lord we ask that you would use them in their context to be salty bright and aromatic that they would be faithful we pray that they would respect authority that the folks that you put in charge of them as teachers our substitute teachers, our counselors, our administration, parents, coaches, that they would respect that authority, they would treat that authority as if you placed them there because you did. Or we pray that that would be a testimony not only to those who were in authority, but a testimony to their fellow students. Pray that you would bless them in that faithfulness. Lord, too, we pray for their attitude at school, that they would enjoy themselves Uh, that they would have an attitude of uh, joy, and they would be grateful as they go about their day, Lord. We just ask you to keep them close and give them things, uh, just this disposition that would bring you glory, first of all, but that would bless them uh, as they flourish, as they go about their day, their weekdays, and trusting our students to you, Lord. We also want to pray for a people group this morning. We're praying for the Hijazi people of Saudi Arabia. Lord, we are praying for 10.5 million people, only .3 of which know you. Lord, we are asking that, that this uh, 0.3% that know you would be vocal and bold and faithful in a world that's just turned upside down for them overnight. Lord, we pray, too, that you would send workers to the hard places like Saudi Arabia, that they would bring good news the story of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would use these circumstances to advance your kingdom and reach this people. Lord, also we want to pray for another church in our community we want to pray for C3 in Rockwall, for David and Whitney Ferguson. Lord, we are praying for their, uh, first of all, for David and Whitney. Lord, I pray that you would guard their marriage and uh, the challenges of ministry, that, you would, uh, that they would cleave to one another, that they would be strong and faithful and join you together, that they would find strength in this union of marriage uh, as it puts on display their union with Christ. Lord, I pray that their union with Christ would sustain all of the above, and that it would overflow to a sustaining, enduring, relentless, faithful work at C3 and Rockwall. Lord, we pray that you would bless that work to the students there, uh, the many students that are coming and going from the nations that are gathering there, Lord, that you would connect dots and connect gospel to people and real lives, and that they would carry that with beautiful feet back home to their stories and their context and bring the good news with them. Lord, pray that you would do something profound with these little short seasons that they have with students um, at C3 and Rockwall. We pray that you would gird that ministry as well with families that are part of the work there. that want to invest in these students. They want to invest in one another. And they want to be the bride, even in a, a place that has a lot of transition. Maybe especially in a place that has a lot of transition. Lord, we pray that you would sustain them in the work and bless C3 and Rockwall. Lord, we are entrusting This day and this people and this gathering to you in these next few minutes and pray that you would be glorified and enjoyed. Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Christy was really pregnant, super pregnant. 2003, I didn't even tell her that I was going to introduce the sermon this way. 2003, uh, it was the spring of 2003, we just uh, accepted, or nearly actually came really close to accepting a position at Travis Avenue Baptist in Fort Worth. I was going to seminary there. Um, Man, life was great. I was working for a recruiting firm. I worked out of the house uh, placing Marines, former Marines, in corporate jobs. Uh, It was really a nice setup. I drove a mile to the seminary. I drove a mile the opposite direction to church. And the church just made us an offer to do something we'd been doing the previous couple of years for free uh, to make it a full-time position for us like man that's gravy meanwhile i met with a guy named sam douglas pastor of a local church in fact he was pastor of ridgecrest baptist church right down the road i met with him in the spring just a few weeks before this i guess a couple of months before this this um june july time frame and um hadn't heard anything from him since I met with him. He talked to me about church planting. He told me about Greenville. He told me about what was going on here in Greenville. And it sounded interesting. And I just wanted to pastor a church. So I I showed some interest, but I didn't try and sell myself because I didn't even know what it was. Well, come come July time frame, June, I guess, is toward the end of June. Uh, Daniel hadn't been born yet, but he was close. I mean, he was really close. He was so close, in fact, that when Sam Douglas called us to say, hey, we'd like for you to come out and take a look... We, we had just g- received the offer from Travis Avenue that very day, and we said, ah, we're probably going to take this offer, thanks, but no thanks. And we hung up the phone, and it was probably Christy, I think, that said, we should know or we should uh, be able to at least see what we're saying no to. There's a lot of wisdom in that. I was like, ah, that's a great point. So I called Sam right back, and I said, hey, can you, can you fit us into your schedule tomorrow? So he said, I've just, uh, I'll clear my schedule, come on out to Greenville. So this was June, I guess, um, 2003. We loaded up in the car. We were so close that Christy brought the video camera and um, rags. I think we may, may maybe, I thought of, maybe I thought we needed bucket water and rags, but she brought the video camera in case we had the baby on the way in traffic. You know, just venturing across Dallas, we're going to come to Greenville and have a baby in the car. Thankfully, that didn't happen, but we did get a chance to come out and see Greenville, and we came to this, to this location uh, really, we you know we kind of drove around Greenville. He showed us around. We ate at a place called Caddyshack. Shack. If you remember, Caddyshack Shack was around, yeah, man. We had ate at the Caddyshack, Shack, and that was a delicious sandwich or something. It was really good. Um, we came over. We visited this building and this facility. This building wasn't here, but that building was this one right over here, and that was the worship center. And we walked in the worship center, and I remember he didn't even turn the lights on. We just kind of opened the the back door of the worship center, and I looked in, and I was like, man, that's kind of quaint. That's kind of cool. You know, that's kind of neat. He's telling us about the congregation at that point. The congregation's made up of four or five families, and a family might just amount to one person uh, that were coming over from Ridgecrest to, to plant a church here at, at Crossmont Fellowship. And Bethel Baptist Church, we inherited some of their previous members. Barbara Underwood is still with us, was one of the, one of the members of Bethel Baptist Church, and she's still with us to this day, thankfully. Yes, Barbara. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I mean, so we here we were. Okay, we said uh, we came out. And we saw this place, and and we saw the facility. And we, I, I met Jeff Collins. Some of y'all know you big big Texas Ranger, Jeff Collins. And he hugged me so hard, he broke a couple ribs. He didn't even know me, but you know, between meeting Jeff and seeing what was here, we said, well, let's let's go do this thing. Let's do this thing. In the process of moving out here, we began to do some research. Uh, Thankfully, we didn't do too much research early on. We may not have come out. And I'll tell you why. Okay, Greenville's a great place to live, but I'll tell you why. Our our research found that as we studied, uh, we went to the Chamber of Commerce website, we looked at the Chamber of Commerce website, and there were 98 Christian churches serving this community at that point in 2003. Okay, I, I said that right. 98 Christian churches serving this community in 2003. Okay, I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're just thinking about you're going to go do something new, like say you're going to start a business or something like that, ideally you're going to do your research and you're going to look for a place where there isn't what you're bringing. You're going to try and find a niche, you know, there's a word for that, find a niche where you can sort of fit in somewhere where they need what you're bringing. If you find a community that doesn't have any dry cleaners and you have some skill at dry cleaning, that's a great place to start a dry cleaning business. Okay, so in business terms, we're like, man, this is kind of foolish. Now, thankfully, we're not a business, but we are thinking, I mean, is there really a need for us here? What is our niche? What do we bring? What would we bring to Greenville that isn't already here times 98? I hope you would want us to ask that question. And in this little season that we're in as a church, between this Sunday and next, and what we're doing a month from now in membership, we should all ask that question. Why are we here? What's our unique fingerprint? So we asked that question. Why in the world are we here? What became evident to us over time as to what I think is maybe one of the most, and maybe the most important reason that we're called to plant here, we were called to plant here in 2003, was because we live in a community, and I'm going to explain this in a moment. It's a nice community with nice folks, most of them, okay? And most of whom say they have an affection for Jesus, but are not part, a meaningful part of a local church. It's a unique community of nice people in a nice community that think Jesus is nice, but have no use for the church. Scott and I, the first few years we were here, uh, we spent part of our work day, nearly every day, visiting homes that were south of I 30. We visited nearly every, we had a map that we, used on this, kept on that back wall back by our offices, and we colored in the streets that we visited. Now, granted, it was a little bit biased because we're visiting during the day, so we're catching people that are at home watching the soaps or maybe home for lunch or something like that. So it's a little unique population, but we did get a little sampling at least half the southern half of our community, almost every home south of I-30, and visiting with these words. We encourage them, first of all, to visit our church if they weren't part of a local church. We said that in 2003. We've said it ever since. That's the message we say now because we're not in competition with other churches. We don't want to draw people away from other churches, meaningful connections to other churches. If you're not part of a local church, we want to invite you to come visit our church. In doing that, in passing out cards and meeting folks, we found this, this, this theme that emerged where people said, we asked them, are you part of a local church? Well, no. I was saved in this VBS over here when I was 6 or 10. I was baptized when I was a teenager at this camp over here at this church. I was married in this church. Were you part of a local church now? No. I mean, it was, it was shocking. It was shocking. The incidents, the number of times that we had that conversation with people. And it was over that conversation that we realized maybe what part of what Crosspoint is bringing to this community is a really high view of what meaningful church is. It may seem like a small matter, because if, first of all, you're dealing with a nice community with nice people, right, who feel like Jesus is nice, you're dealing with the people that you work with, that you live beside, who will say, I like Jesus, in fact, I love Jesus. And you'll ask them if they're part of a local church, and they'll just say, meh, why? Why do I need that? If I already love Jesus and I feel like He loves me, it may seem like a small deal, it may seem like straining out a gnat, but I want you to consider this image, okay just this is a little fictitious story fictitious, not fictional. fictitious that 's not even a word fictitious story i 'm making up just for the purpose of sort of connecting to what this might be like for Jesus. I want you to imagine men in the room who are married, okay men i 'm speaking to you men who are married. I want you to imagine that You have a long-time friend that really likes you and has a lot of affection for you, and thinks you're nice, but really doesn't care much for your wife. Okay, Some of y'all might really have those stories. I hope those are few, but you might be able to connect to somebody who maybe was a long-time friend, or you can imagine this at least, who really likes you, who you're good friends with, but doesn't care much for your wife. Okay, I, want to, I would hope that what that would translate to is you're probably not going to hang out with that guy very much. And he may not even be a close friend anymore because of that very thing. I want you to take that little imaginary story and sort of pick it up and transpose it over our community and say, what is going on in our community? And what must our Lord be thinking when people are saying, Jesus, we really think you're awesome and think you're nice, but we really don't care much for your bride. We don't have any use for. And in fact, Jesus, hear us. We love you. We think you're nice. But as far as your bride, meh, who needs her? Take that thought and take that story into hopefully where we're going in these next few minutes. I think it's a very important issue. And I think it's one of the primary reasons that we are here as a church in this community. Why we became 99. I don't know how many are serving now in our community. But at least in 2003, why we became 99, And I want to just throw this out there, too. I don't know if we call it lostness or apostasy. But I'm going to make the case in the next few minutes that whatever we call it, if you love Jesus but don't have any use for the local bride, we're going to call it unbiblical. I hope in the next few minutes we can at least unearth some things that we can look at scripturally and say, okay, here, peering into God's Word, it looks like presence, involvement, meaningful connections in the local church are biblical, that we can transpose that and look outward and say, okay, then a bunch of people that say they love Jesus yet, yet have no use for the local church, we could say is not a biblical concept. One of the reasons I believe we learned early on as to why we're here is to walk out this idea well in our community. In a community that's either lost and never got a true seed in the first place and never really met Jesus in the first place, or a community that's just apostate. This walked away from the bride that Jesus came and died for. I don't know what it is, but whether it's a product of decisionism, okay heavy push to get people down an aisle to make a decision, but not to make a disciple of them, I don't know. I don't know if it's that or just people walking away from true faith. But whatever the case is, it is an unbiblical thing that we're living right in the middle of. And if you want purpose and meaning in the local church, man, I think this is a nice purpose and meaning for Crosspoint Fellowship to be number 99, in Greenville, Texas. So we're going to make a case in the next few minutes for the biblical concept of membership. Okay. So if you would, I have four places that I'm going to take you in these next few minutes. Hebrews chapter 13, I'd like for you to turn there first. And let me just tell you too, I want to prepare you with sort of some listening currency. The sermon is a little bit shorter than usual because we have a presentation at the end, about a 10-minute presentation at the end on upcoming missions ventures. And we have a little interview that's going to be going on with uh, Jessica Johnson and some of our our students and our our young adults that have just deployed to foreign foreign lands. So I'm keeping that in mind, and I'm going to try not to rush, but just in small, digestible bites, consider four passages dealing with this question of the biblical case for church membership. Okay, so I have you turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And while you're turning there, you're probably already there by now because I'm kind of running my mouth while you're turning I'll give you four different references for some implied examples. And this is so far from exhaustive. Okay, This is so far from an exhaustive case. But I realize we could spend hours with a really exhaustive case and probably not accomplish any more than we can accomplish in a few minutes. But I want to give you four examples of implied membership. You can jot these down. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. It's the story of what happened at Pentecost. Pentecost, you know, Peter preaches and this bold preacher of Pentecost, previously the chicken of Passover, now is the bold preacher of Pentecost. Thousands of people were added to their numbers. Okay, in this passage, beginning in verse 37 through 47, in verse 41, believers are counted like with a number. Okay, I'm not talking metaphorically. I'm talking they were counted, numbered. Okay, and then in verse 47, apparently they're tracked as well where numbers were added To them every day. They are quantified and they are identified as a particular people in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 6 is the story of the election, or you could say appointment of deacons, very much a membership conversation. Okay, a specific people are to call out from among them specific people to serve a specific people in a specific way. Okay, it's not a metaphorical, figurative passage, it's very much a real life passage that would have involved the notion. Of membership, Here's the third passage, Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. I'll just read a short little excerpt of this one because it's just so good. Let me see if I can find it. I've got the page marked here. We're not getting to the meat yet. This is just the, the, the hors d'oeuvres. Okay. Uh, Romans chapter 16, here's just a little excerpt. At the end of the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome, Paul mentions these people. Greet Prissa and Aquila. I guess Pris- uh, Prissa was probably short for Priscilla. Okay, She had a nickname. Apparently they were, they were close enough for, her, for him to give her a nickname. He says, greet the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus. Greet Mary. Greet Andronicus. Greet Junia. Greet Ambliatus. Greet Urbanus. Greet Apelles. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Narcissus, the guy was really into himself. Trypanea, greet, greet Trypanea. I don't know if that's a dude or a gal, but greet greet him. Greet Trafosa, greet Rufus, greet Persis, uh, greet his mother, who had been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, greet Phlegon, Phlegon, <laughs> greet Hermes, <laughs> greet Petrobus, greet Hermas, greet Philologus, greet Julia, greet Nereus. And Olympus. Man, do you hear people with real names? Real people. They're weird names, but real people with real, real names that had a presence in some defined community of faith. Okay, some quantified maybe, or at least defined community of faith. Real people with real names. And here's the last one 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 16. It's the description of, of, of how uh, widows are to be enrolled in the local church. And the word there actually is the word enrolled. In Greek, it means to put on the list. Okay, people that have this sort of uh, weird feeling about church membership, oh, this sounds like it's something contrived, really need to look at their Bibles. Okay, those are implied examples. What I want to do in these next few minutes, though, is look at four examples where it is necessitated, where membership is a necessity to even make sense of what you're seeing in the passage okay here's the first one here's where we're going to get really get into the meat of this Hebrews chapter 13 is where I had you turn beginning in verse 17 let me just acknowledge the book of Hebrews was a letter written to the Hebrew church likely in Rome okay it's an early what you might have called a messianic Jewish church largely Jewish converts in this church that's why I call it Hebrews living in Rome a church with real people they probably had real Jewish names This letter was written by a real pastor to this church. We don't know who it was. It may have been Paul. It may have been Apollos. It could have been someone else. But the pastor of this church has written this letter to this Hebrew church. And here's what he says in, in, in chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Okay, this passage just sort of brings into focus the notion of an accountable people who are accountable to one another and to the Lord for how they follow leaders who are accountable to God. There's this sort of horizontal accountability going on here where we're, Submitting to one another and submitting to our leadership. And then this vertical accountability where those leaders are accountable to the Lord. Okay, I want to just tell you, we've been doing this thing 16 years. I'll tell you, it's 2003 that we were called out here. There's some fellow pastors that can identify with what I'm about to describe, describe to you. There are nights. There are mornings. There are noons. There are days when I'm driving, when I'm doing nothing, when I'm doing everything. Where your faces... And your names, and your circumstances, and your walk, and your marriage, and your parenting, and your student experience, and your health are right here for me. Right here for me. Because I'm going to be answerable to my creator for your lives. I'm not talking an ownership. I'm talking a responsibility. A responsibility where you are dear. You are dear in a way that I care about you deeply. And I'm not alone. A group of pastors here that care about you deeply. And will be accountable to the living God for this little season that we've had together that we have stewardship over. It's another little window for you to get at what I'm talking about. It's in 1 Peter. Beautiful passage, an encouragement and a challenge for every pastor. Don't turn there. Just listen. I just have four places I want you to turn. Just listen to this. I exhort the elders among you, slash pastors. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, this is written by Peter, And a witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock. That word shepherd is synonymous with feed and tend. Folks, there's somebody. If you be like, man, I don't really know about this membership thing. To me, what membership says is it's who I'm going to be accountable for. It's who's right here. Are there other people outside of our church that are right here? Absolutely. From time to time, absolutely. As the Lord brings people across my path, but on a daily basis as one of your shepherds, you are you right here. I want to tend to you. I want to feed you. I want to shepherd you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Your responsibility there. Exercising oversight. That word oversight means looking upon, caring for, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain. There are plenty of other places to go and do things if you want, if you're in it for shameful gain, this is not it. But eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. The word there in Greek actually means those that are your portion. Man, there's some things, some concepts that necessitate the notion of membership. And this this pastoral concept, this shepherding concept, this oversight concept, this responsibility to follow those that the Lord's put over you. We you know, prayed for our students earlier, and some of you parents are like, yeah, man, thankful, that's a good prayer. Well, now I'm talking to you. That you follow the pastors that have been given to your local church. As they have to be responsible and accountable to the living God for how you've moved. It, the concept of membership is necessitated in this concept. I don't know how else you could do it. How, how else would you even identify those in your charge except by something called membership? And it says, but being examples to the flock is the way that passage ends. Man, I, I think here you see leaders that have to ask the question, who am I accountable for? Membership does a nice way of giving some shape there. It also uh, says for you as part of this body, who am I accountable to? Who are my pastors? Who am I accountable to? Okay. I don't know how you would accomplish this at all without a defined membership. Um, I think that's part and parcel to this concept. Church membership is is an accountable people who are accountable to accountable leadership. Okay. You see that? Church membership is accountable to accountable leadership. Okay. Here's the second thing. I told you we were going to be brief with each of these. Here's the second passage. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. These actually move in the direction of my favorites. The first one, I mean, they're all my favorites because they're wonderful, wonderful truths. But this, we're going to end with my super, like, amazing all-time favorite. We're moving there. We're getting there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, the book of Galatians was written to the churches of Galatia. It says over there in verse 2, these are my people, the Gauls. This is where the Celts came from. Okay, Celts, you know, speak Gaelic. It's where the language came from. I mean, there was at least a connection. You know, it might be a loose connection, but this is, I could just see a bunch of people wearing kilts and stuff around this church. Time frame's not right, but still, it's just kind of a way to identify with the Galatians. I enjoy the Galatians. But something had happened in the Galatian church, churches, I should say, the churches of Galatia. They'd been bewitched, somebody had fooled them into believing the gospel plus something. Okay, it says in chapter 3, verse one, "O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? To try and make sense of what actually happened, you can look over in chapter 1, verse 6, just right across the page. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly destir- deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The way they wanted to, to distort it is by adding something to the gospel. That the gospel actually meant grace plus, in this case, circumcision. That you had to be circumcised and you had to walk in grace. Which if you add anything to grace, it's like trying to add something to an egg in the shell. I mean, it's not a great example because it's still an egg. It's just a broken egg. But grace is gone. There's no grace if you're adding any sort of work to it. And Paul says, you guys have been bewitched. Now follow me with this. In verse 8, he says, But even if, our, if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now let me just connect you to this concept. This you in this passage, who has bewitched you, is speaking to congregants. It's speaking to... Um, Think of some Irish names. Um, I can't. I'm on the spot. I need to have some Irish or Scottish names. (laughs) They're coming from every direction, but I'm still. I can't hear them. But just imagine these Scottish names sitting around the room. Aye, and they're sitting around the room. And these, who's bewitched you? You, I've been bewitched. Yes, you've been bewitched. You, the congregant. The point I'm making here is that you, the congregation, have the responsibility to guard the message. To guard the truth. Last fall, this was a big part of our conversation in the Congregational Authority series. You not only have the authority, you have the responsibility to guard the message. So who's you? It's the membership. And who's the one who's doing the preaching? Well, ideally, it's part of the membership. It's someone that's accountable for what they're saying. You understand what's being said here? Paul's saying, if anybody shows up and preaches the gospel that's contrary to what I'm preaching... Then let them be accursed. Who's doing the cursing? It's the you. Who's the you? It's the membership. Who's the accursed? Well, ideally, it's part of the membership. <laughs> That's why we guard this pulpit very closely. You notice we don't march people in this pulpit. If you've been here for a number of years, we don't, you don't have a lot of guest preachers up in here. Because they're not accountable to one another. They're not accountable to us. Are they accountable to the Lord? Absolutely. Are they accountable to us in a way that we can guard the message? Man, not so much. We've had a few guest preachers over the years, but it's been rare. And the reason that we do that is because we're guarding this pulpit. And we want to be, I'm telling you right now, I want to be accountable to you for every word. Test what you hear from this pulpit. You have a responsibility to do that. I don't know how this concept can even be applied apart from membership. People that visit Crosspoint, let me just tell you right now, if you're visiting and you're in that spot where you're like, maybe I, you know, maybe I'll just kind of visit for a while and maybe I'll join at some point. Or maybe I'll just visit indefinitely and never join. If you have some thoughts about the content of a sermon that you hear here, I'll totally hear it. I mean, in fact, I want to be approachable. I invite that. If you're visiting, like, hey, what did you mean here? Please reach out. That says you're listening. That's a compliment to me. That's not an insult to me. But in terms of accountability, I'm not accountable to you. But the membership, that's a different matter. I'm accountable to the membership for the content of what I'm preaching. And so is every preacher that stands up here. And you have the authority and responsibility to guard the message. That I don't know how you can accomplish that concept apart from the notion of membership. Okay, that's the second thing. Here's the third. It's about to get saucy with this third one. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians chapter 5. I told you we're moving expeditiously. We're good on time. Okay being economical with our time. We've got two more things to to capture here. Here's the the first of those two things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it's actually reported that there is sexual... Okay, let me just just back up. Okay, we've got to regroup. We've got to do it every single time. We've got to remind ourselves, okay, this is written to a church. Okay, this isn't written to... um, the, the, the letters that's written to the Galatians wasn't written to the leadership. It was written to the congregants. It was written to all the populace of the church. In this case, the same thing. It's written to the Corinthian church. Real people with real names living real lives. And in this case, you're going to see doing something pretty, pretty, pretty heinous. Okay? All right, let's look at it. Chapter 5, verse 1. It's actually reported there is sexual immorality among you. Okay, you as the church of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Okay, What he's talking about here is some guy has a sexual relationship with his mother-in-law. Okay, Let's really climb into it. He said, man, that's pretty vile. That's so vile that even pagans, even people that are unbelievers would go, that sounds like bad news. I can't believe that's going on. And he says, and you, uh, Corinthian church, are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who's done this be removed from among you. For although absent in body, I'm present in spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled, man, just the language here. I, I don't know how someone can not can be so averse to the notion of membership where they can't see membership all over the pages here. All the yous are the local church. All the ewes are the people who are gathered to hear this word, this letter that's written by Paul to the church at Corinth. And all the ewes are sitting there going, they're swallowing hard right now as they're going, gulp. Paul is getting all up in our trash because we get this guy, this habit, has a relationship with his mother-in-law, and not only have we not done anything about it, we've been arrogant about it. And Paul is getting in our face. That's what's going on here. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you, you people of the church, are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay, that may sound really weird to you. Let me kind of explain what's going on. There's a word for that. It's called being removed from the membership. If someone is part of the local church and they're moving in, in unrepentant sin, and that, that word, unrepentant sin, is the key. Because if we're going to remove people that have sinned, this, we got to all leave. <laughs> Pack up your stuff. we got to go. We're talking about unrepentant, in your face. Nope. Talk to the hand, sin. I love her. I'm in love with my mother-in-law. We have this thing going. No thanks. Talk to the hand. That's unrepentant, sin. Okay? We're talking about a very unique circumstance. And in that case, when somebody is part of the local body, in a meaningful way to the point where they have membered with the local body and they are continuing in unrepentance, even after being lovingly confronted. They say, no, I'm going to press on. That is the point where they, the language here is turned over to Satan, means they are removed from the membership. He gives some more details of how that's to play out later. We decided early on as a church that we were going to be faithful to what it said here, even if it meant for a smaller church. Even if a lot of people in our community might go, that sounds really weird. Even if some people might say, that sounds ugly, because it's not. It's actually loving. If you can see what's going on in that passage, you're to deliver this man to Satan, remove him from the church for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. It has a bigger picture and a bigger focus than the person in the immediate sin, and is hoping that this really hard thing of being removed from the church might be what the Lord brings to awaken this guy, to drag him away from this sin so that he actually repents eventually and is saved. We're talking about their eternal destiny is at stake. Man, it is a massive, massive issue. So here's what Paul says. He says your boasting's not good, Corinthians. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. This is sort of the motivation for removing the, the person that's continuing on in unrepentant sin in your church. For Christ our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and of evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immor- imm- immoral people. I wrote you, speaking of some previous letter, there's a pre First Corinthians. There's a, like, what it would be, Alpha Corinthians or something. Some letter that we don't have. Paul says, I wrote to you not to associate with sexually immoral people, but not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since you would have to, like, leave this world. You have to get on a spaceship. Don't be surprised when somebody's sexually immoral or greedy or a swindler or idolater at the workplace if they don't know the Lord. Of course they're going to be. He didn't say don't associate with them, but look what he does say. You would need to go out of the world. This is what he says. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, and is moving in on repentance. He says don't even Eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those on the outside. Purge the evil person from among you. It is necessitated in this concept. This thought of removing the priest the person, the evil person from among you. Well, who's you? Who's you? Who are those on the outside? Who are those on the inside? The concept of church membership beautifully defines that and draws those lines. And I want to say this is while, I'm, while I'm talking about this topic and since we're talking about membership I don't even know what I'm capable of. That might alarm you. Because you might say uh, I don't know if I like the thought of my pastor being capable of terrible things. Do you think I would be the first pastor that would have fallen to some terrible sin that drew him away from the faith and the church? If, I, if that were to happen to me? I don't even know what I'm capable of. Given the right circumstances, given the right amount of fatigue, given the right amount of strain, given the right person, Are the right opportunity in the right moment, I don't even know what I'm capable of. Membership means I'm submitting what that is. Hopefully, is those thoughts that I just shared are hopefully thoughts that we all share. And it's a room full of people that saying membership means that we're gonna submit ourselves to someone watching our back so that if we're continuing on in unrepentant sin, that they do that really hard step of removing that person from among you so that their soul may be saved. Yes, please. I hope I'm not so proud that I'm unwilling to submit to that. And I hope that you aren't either. I hope that a room full of humble people that together can say, we don't even know what we're capable of, can together say, I need some instrument, some device. Call it membership, call it a ham sandwich. I don't care what you call it. But something where somebody's watching my back. Where somebody will confront me in love and say, brother, this is not okay. Remember your baptism. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Can I help you away from this sin? Can I be your teammate in this? That's loving. That's caring for your brother and sister in Christ. Man, I don't care. Like I said, call it a ham sandwich. I want it. I need it. Our community needs it. The last one is in Ephesians chapter 4. As you're turning there, let me just make this appeal. Our community needs this. We become an unloving bunch, an uncaring bunch if we think, well, our neighbor, our workmate, or our friend, at least they love Jesus. But they're not part of a local bride. If you're seeing things here that are coming off the page that are like, oh, these necessitate church membership. And you live with, and work with, and talk with, and are friends with people that are like meh. And you don't engage them with this, then you're missing out. I think on the purpose of a large part of the reason that CrossPoint Fellowship in Greenville. And two, you're saying what what we, what we agree over here is, is important, is not a strong enough agreement that I'm going to take it into the workplace. That I'm going to at least hand, hand you a copy of the sermon. And I'd, can I talk with you about this in, at some point in the future? Can you consider this, brother, friend, neighbor, workmate? Because I care about you and I care about your soul. Here's the last one. Man, this one's so dear. Ephesians is just such a gorgeous, wonderful letter written to a church. Like the others. I mean, realize we're sort of living the answer. We're studying four different passages that were written to local churches that you wouldn't hear unless you were part of a local church. I mean, you're not even going to hear the letters being read unless you're gathering with a, a people. <laughs> okay, but here's, here's the fourth one, all right? I hope I hadn't spent my currency before this one. Have I? Have I? I hope not. Okay, I see some people shaking their head. Some people falling asleep. No, nobody's falling asleep. Some thumbs up, all right. Okay, this is, this is the sweet spot right here. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm just going to look at the first 16 verses. And I'm just going to read through and I'm going to call a little bit of attention to the singular words and the plural words. And I'm going to help you connect the dot there and why that matters. Okay? Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, plural, okay, you guys, if we want to put in like valley girl, you, you guys, or we put it in country, y'all. All y'all, Ewans. it's plural for you. Whatever you got to put in there to see it. I'm, Paul says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord, and I'm urging y'all people to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which y'all, all y'alls have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace, there is one body. Okay, y'all see that? That's singular. Okay, I'm going to make the point with this. I want you to see that. There's a bunch of y'alls. There's all y'all, each of y'all. You're going to see each in here too. But there's one body and one spirit. Just as you all, y'all, were called to one hope that belongs to your call. That your is plural as well. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us. That's plural implied. Each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Jump down to verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, singular the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood." Now in the original language that just reads, "To mature man." Okay we've had all these y'alls, we've had all these plurals, and then we've had each, where plurals implied. And then up above, in verse four, we've had one body. In verse 12, we have one body. and later on in verse 13, we have "to mature man. Okay, I want you to think about like a a man. I want you to visualize a man, okay, at this point, like a a real man. All right, I'm emphasizing this because I want you to visualize this like a real person standing here. Got muscles, legs, hairdo, a real man. Okay, standing there. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we, there it is plural, may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we, there's plural again, are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, singular, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part, there's plural, all these different parts, hand, foot, hair, eyes, teeth, working properly makes the body grow so that it, singular, builds itself, singular, up in love. Okay. That might seem really weird that I spent all that time on that. But here's the point. There's some things here, some plurals that are are, are alluded to, this many, this all, this you, this each of you, each part. Just envision these things like the dust of the earth, like God taking dust of the earth and then gathering it up and forming it together and shaping it together in this man called Adam and then blowing the breath of life into it, that same image, but think about it in terms of the church. And instead of the breath where he's blowing life that we're respirating right now, the air that he's breathing into the body that's called the church is the Holy Spirit, made up of a bunch of the dust of the earth, like envision a real body and real organism called the church okay now here's where I'm going with this this concept of the church being members and connected to one another in one body the church is an organic experience that involves connectedness and engagement and interface and dependence like the human body interacts with itself Right now, there's all kind of things going on in you. There's blood pulsing through your veins. There are nerves that are telling you you're tired of sitting. There's stomach that's saying, I'm kind of hungry. There's knees that are bent, there are arms that are folded, there are hands that are turning pages and are making notes. And they're all interfacing, they're all connected to the point where if you try and separate them, then they don't even work anymore. This is the image that Paul uses here for the church. Somewhere, I don't even know how you could even do this without the concept of membership. It's a connectedness and an interdependence and an inner involvement that is beautifully illustrated in the human body, in a healthy man where everything is working pro- properly, where everything is doing its part. I want you to just think about this. The concept of church membership. You need to know you can depend on your feet, don't you? Anybody else ever have this? Like you sitting, you crossing your legs at your desk or something, and you go to get up, go get a cup of coffee, and you go take a step and just hit the ground because that, that guy fell asleep on you. That guy's not working anymore, man. You need to know that all that work is, you can depend on it, right? Your feet need to know that your eyes are doing their job, right? Anybody ever stub their toe? Yeah, man, my eyes, they're, they're on the same team. I'm on the toe team up here. Man, they're all connected. If you don't have all that stuff connected, you're going to get hurt. You're not going to be able to function. The foot needs to know that the eye is watching where it's going. Membership is a way to say, here, I'm here and I'm doing my job. You can lean into me. Membership is a way to say, I'm looking where we're going You can trust, I'm gonna do the best I can that you don't get stubbed down there. Right? Membership is a beautiful picture of this concept. Without it, without the notion of membership, I think what you end up with is a bunch of prosthetics. Right? A bunch of hollow prosthetics made out of wood, plastic, Kevlar, carbon fiber. I don't know what they're made out of, but they're not innervated, there's no blood flow. I mean, it might be functional, but just barely. And we live in a community right now, Crosspoint Fellowship, of prosthetics. People that say they have some connectedness to this person called Christ, but they're not connected to the church in a meaningful way that involves blood flow and innervation and interaction in a way that we can actually mobilize together. Man, let's connect to this thought of membership and say, yes, maybe this is why we're here. If church is an organism, membership says, I'm here, I'm real, I'm not hollow, I'm not Kevlar, I'm not carbon fiber, I'm real flesh incarnate, and I'm connected to you, and you are to me, you can depend on me, and I can depend on you. Man, I love it. I love purpose. Without purpose, man, you just got to say, what, what am I even doing? What am I even doing? If you ask that question, why am I even here? Maybe you're here this morning to hear these words. Maybe you're here this morning to be equipped with something that you can then go take to someone that you love and care about. You see these things emerge from the page that look like they're necessitating this concept of church membership and involvement and connectedness to the local bride. You've just been equipped to be bearer of good news. You got beautiful feet, by the way. Bring it. Think about that. And maybe, too, this will avoid that you join the populace and join the epidemic of folks that used to be part of a local church. Maybe five years from now, maybe ten years from now, maybe three months from now when you realize, ah, the church is made up of people just like me. Or maybe you hadn't realized that. Maybe you think everybody else is messed up and you hadn't figured out that you are, too. And that's coming. And will your church membership and your church experience survive that? I hope so. Because maybe things like that that you heard today will go, I can go the distance. I can go the distance. Because church and membership and involvement and connectedness to the local body matters. We live in a community that has largely neglected the bride of our Lord and Savior. And to hold her dear, I think, is part of our identity here. To be part of her, a meaningful part of her, is part of our identity in Greenville. To be about her beautifying work of readying for Christ's return, I think, is part of our work here in Greenville. And to lovingly encourage others to do the same. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for these few minutes that we've had together. We're thankful for your Word. We're thankful for these windows into this concept and this this notion, this conversation of membership. Lord, we are thankful that you enroll widows, that you count heads at Pentecost, uh, that you have a real connection to real people with real names, funny names and normal names and everybody in between. We're thankful that you gathered us up like the dust of the earth and breathed the life of the Holy Spirit into this body and bride called the church. Lord, we celebrate these truths today. We pray that we'll be faithful, even if it's 20 of us. We'll be faithful to be who you've called us to be in this community. Lord, we are entrusting these great truths to you to work in us and asking you for that, for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.